Welcome to the Portland Pentecostals podcast. We're happy you've decided to join us as we build a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Enjoy the message. I'm going to the book of Psalm this morning. And it's important to understand that some of the Psalms were written by David. Some of them were written by Moses. Some were written by Asaph, which was the chief musician. A Psalm is a song. It's something they sang. There are ballads. There are ditties. There are jingles. There are love songs. There are all kinds of songs that have been written throughout the ages and each one of them have a purpose. Each one of them have a specific design. And today we are reading a psalm of David, although it appears almost to be a psalm of Moses. Psalm 81 reads, Sing aloud to God our strength. Make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Raise a song and strike the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the lute. Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon, and on our solemn feast day. For this is a statute for Israel, a law of the God of Jacob. And here is the important verse. This he established in Joseph as a testimony when he went throughout the land of Egypt, where I heard a language... I did not understand. The Amplified Version says this, I heard the speech of one whom I knew not. I heard a new voice saying, I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from the basket. You called in trouble and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Think about it. He's saying, I want you to think about what happened in the past because what happened in the past, the way I worked through you and in your life or in your collective lives in the past, I can do it again. And this morning I want to preach on this subject matter, the secret place of thunder. Thank you for standing in honor to the word. You may be seated. The life that each individual lives in this world has struggle and triumph. Pleasure and pain, hope and disappointment, fear and faith, heartache and happiness, heat and cold, sickness and health, and many unexpected events. And you and I can all identify with these things. We, we have these experiences in life. And sometimes the, the fear and the faith are more extreme in certain, certain circumstances. Or, or the rejection that we feel seems to impact our life more, more strongly. We have, we have easily learned to rejoice in the positive situations, but it's difficult to wait expectantly for God in the trying times. The key element of life is to know the one who has the answers and can give the supply. The follower of God 
To the follower of God, the most important and encouraging truth is, in all the struggles we face, God will answer. In fact, God is the answer. He doesn't just have the answer. And the core of the story that David is referring to gives us a viewing window into the workings of God, which always allows us to catch a glimpse of his thinking, which the scripture says is way above ours. So for nearly 400 years, the Hebrew children were a group of slaves with a divine purpose to become. I don't know if you remember waiting for things, waiting for Christmas, waiting for your birthday, waiting to go to first grade, waiting to get out of school, waiting for the time when you could get your learner's permit or your driver's license or you were old enough to live on your own, waiting for your first job and then waiting for vacation. We wait for things in life. We look with anticipation. Sometimes we look with dread and sometimes we perceive with hope. But these children of Israel had a divine purpose to become. But it's sometimes easy to lose the vision of what God intended for us to become. Because what we are clouds what he intended for us to become. Because we mess it up. It doesn't matter if we're a believer or an unbeliever. Sometimes we mess it up and it gets clouded and we can only see through human eyes. But I'm hoping today, I'm praying that we will be able to see through God's eyes by the sound of his voice. They were waiting to become more than they could imagine. A great nation. They were waiting to inherit a a productive land and be a blessed nation. They were waiting to become the envy of the world that God's promised, had promised him. To be the people of God and to become the nation out of which the Messiah, the Savior, the Christ would come. I read again verse number 5. This he established in Joseph as a testimony. When he went throughout the land of Egypt, where I heard a language I did not understand. In other words, the speech of one whom I knew not, I heard saying. These people were and would become what God had promised simply because of being born as the offspring of Abraham. Ever wished you were born something different? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I was just more of a jerk than other kids, but I don't know if any of you ever said, I wish I was somebody else's kids. Yeah, just wait till you have kids. Says, I wish I was born rich. I wish I was born famous. I, I wish I, because we're seeing something temporal and we think that if we would just be born that individual, we'd have what that individual has. But the faith of Moses would propel these people toward the purpose of God. What they would receive belonged to the father of the faithful, which was Abraham, and then to Isaac, and then to Jacob. And often throughout the scripture, he'll say, I remember what I said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm doing this because of my promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What they would receive would be of the greatest value. What they would receive would be because of God and because faith would enter the picture. And the Spirit begins to lead them. 
They were born right. It really does matter how you were born. I didn't say who you were born, but how you were born. And for you and I as born-again believers, uh, oh, what a difference when we were born again. It revolutionized my life. When you're born right, God has great plans for you. But there would be many tests. Oh, I hate tests. Now, I, I'm one of those guys that does all right with tests. Now, this is a deficit. I always thought it was a positive. I didn't study for tests. I just winged it. Oh, that's why you're having struggle reading those books. <laughs> Anybody like that? You just winged it? Eh, some of you aren't being honest. And so you're winging life. So we don't prepare for life. We just kind of wing it and say, well, bring it on and I'll take it as it comes. They, the children of Israel, had just witnessed the miraculous deliverance from the hand of their oppressors. And for the first time, they saw a literal manifestation of the Spirit of God. A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And we see later when the Egyptians begin to pursue them, it's darkness and cloud to the Egyptians and it's fire and light to them. And so the Spirit of God becomes what it needs to be. It can become our defense to push others away. It can become that which draws us close to Him. And they had walked on the sea floor without getting wet. <coughs> I don't know if you've ever been to one of these aquariums where you can walk through the tunnel and the, and the fish are swimming over you and around you. And I, I watched one where the guys were just there just riding the, the ride and, and it's not an escalator really, but it's a, a, a moving sidewalk and they're just watching everything and they're so fascinated that the sidewalk ends and then they just pile on top of each other because they're so fascinated by that. I wonder what the children of Israel felt like. The Bible says that the sea congealed. God blew with the breath of his nostrils so way through the sea and then turned it to jello. So you got fish and, and, and squid and octopus and, uh, and, and lobsters and uh, all these sea creatures just in suspended animation. And you're walking through the wind by night and it's pressure field because there's a storm. But they watched as God destroyed all of their enemies the next morning when Moses raised his rod and, and, and the, the jello turned to water again. And they were uh, collapsed uh, underneath the water and they had sung the song of Moses and the lamb and they had played their instruments and they had danced before the Lord. And it was a good thing and it appeared as if all of their troubles were over over and it seemed as though a new stage of life in the wilderness would be much less difficult. It appeared that their major long-term enemy would swiftly become a memory. It was a new season, but every season has its tests. And I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer today, but even after we're born again, there's tests in our life. God's testing us. I didn't say he's tempting us because he doesn't want us to fall, but he's testing us so we can be better. Yeah, right. A test is always about going to some new level. 
Three days later, God tested them at Meribah, which was mentioned in our original script. It was a place of bitter waters. Exodus 15 and 22 says, And Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? So God led them to Marah, or one translation says Meribah. God provided the water to quench their thirst, and they tasted the water, and they were repulsed by it. But God was trying to show them it was only if he touched what they had that it became what they needed. Remember what it was like before God? We thought we were going to get, we were going to have, we were going to manipulate, we were going to possess, whether it was people, relationships, positions, possessions, all of that. But when we got it in our hands, it was never enough because it's never enough. It's like the greatest showman, never enough. Want me to sing it? No, I can't. But it's, it's never enough for me. It's just not enough. But when God touches it, when God speaks to it, when God moves on the water, then it's enough. It's adequate. It's satisfactory. And so they named the place after their experience. So we identify places by how we felt with those places. We're never going back to that restaurant again. We're going on Yelp and we're giving them zero stars. And we're going to write their, uh, the, uh, their deal, you know, their review. Anybody ever wrote a review on Yelp? They wouldn't publish mine. So <laughs> done with Yelp. It was after I went there and sat outside in the cold and, and paid extra money and tipped them real good. And then all of a sudden I had to be vaxxed to go to their restaurant. So I wrote them a nice long deal. And Yelp let me know that it didn't qualify under their guidelines to be published. But we speak of our things in life and we can rail on what happened to us in life. But what really matters is the long term is God touching our life. And so verse 25, the first part of that verse in Exodus 15 says, So he, Moses, cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and when he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. So God showed Moses, the man of faith, a solution. The tree was the solution. Now, we're not going to go all the way there today, but the tree of Calvary really is the solution to your life and my life. That's the solution to the bitterness in our life. There was a tree, and the tree had to be planted years before in order for it to be there when they needed it. That's how good God is. He has the solution already there for you and I. So don't you worry about it. He has tomorrow taken care of. No wonder he said, don't give any thought for tomorrow because there's enough trouble tomorrow. Just live today. And so the sacrifice of the tree brought sweetness to the water so it could be drunk and bring freshness to life. Something had to die for a nation to live. What dies is always of less value than what it is replaced by. 
And sometimes God says, this has got to die in your life for this to live in your life. But you and I resist because we don't like death. I mean, the kid doesn't even like it when Goldberg gets flushed down the toilet. But it's a fish, and they only live so long. You don't know how long it was there in the, in the fish store, bumping up against the glass, and it probably has a headache and, and maybe even is demented because it had its head on the glass so often, and you buy it, and you think, I'm going to take it home to Junior, and he's going to be happy, and six days later, it's like upside down on the top of the thing, and, and, and the joy is gone. So we try to replace it, and there's stories that we could tell about that. But we've got to give up some things in order to get some things. If you're swinging from rope to rope, you've got to let go of the rope you swung from to catch the rope on the other side. You've all looked probably on Instagram and YouTube and saw those guys that didn't let go of the rope, and they're trying to swing into the pond, and they bang back on the cliff. And that's the way it is with our lives sometimes. The flesh of Christ was less valuable than the church. That body that he was housed in was less valuable than me. That's why he gave it as a sacrifice because he knew it was only temporary. And when he came out of that grave, when he was glorified, it was different than what it had been before because now he can walk through the walls and he can appear in a room when there, there are locked doors and, and shuttered windows. And so it is for you and my, me is when God touches our lives life we become different oh please don't misunderstand me I'm not trying to tell you that God can't do it but we've got to let God do some things in our life Calvary brings the sweetness out in life notice that the name of the place remained bitter even though God brought them sweetness the last part of Exodus 15 and 25 says, And there he made a statute and an ordinance with them, and there he tested them. This struggle was not meant to destroy them. The test was meant to strengthen them. It was meant to establish something in them. The voice that they had known, not known, was now becoming made known. And God begins to tell them why he tested them now. We don't know why the test in the middle of the test, it's after the test. Because sometimes if we knew why we were being tested in the middle of the test, then the purpose of the test wouldn't work, right? And so God lets us stay in the dark a little bit. But listen to verse number 26. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. He said, I'm going to test you with bitter waters. But if you'll listen to my voice and you'll do what I tell you to do in that bitter time, I'm going to show you that I can heal all of your diseases. Yeah. If I can make the bitter water sweet, I can do anything you need me to do. Oh, friend, we need to remember the good things that God has done for us. Yeah, we failed since, but God's faithful. Oh, sometimes we bumped up against another problem, but he is the Lord that heals all of our diseases. Yeah. 
So the test is always something about bigger. bigger. It's, about, it's about moving on to the next level of the program. It's about graduating. It's about the degree so you can get the job. The test is about something bigger. And if I, if you, if we can get to that place uh, when God tests us, uh, just say, God, I want to learn something about this. I've been doing that for years. I've been saying, God, please let me understand because I'm a little bit slow, but I don't want, to, I don't want this test again. Yeah. We've all, except for you brilliant people, had to retest. Yeah, some of you. How many times did you take the driver's test? Somebody says, I love third grade. It was the best three years of my life. It was like, here we are. It's, It's we do fail. We don't succeed sometimes. And so shame sets in and fear overwhelms. And then we think we're always going to spin out and fail, but not with God. Maybe it's time to say, God, I need your help in the time of testing. I'm listening for your voice. Moses cried to God when there was bitterness. And God gave him the solution for bitterness. If you have bitterness in your life today, cry out to the Lord. Lord, maybe the solution is forgiveness. Maybe the solution is repaying what you stole from somebody else. Maybe the solution is simply thanksgiving to God for what he has given you so that he can trust you with even more. He said, I heard a voice that I didn't understand. I I heard a voice that I wasn't used to the language of. He was talking about hearing the voice of God. Oh, what it was like before we knew the voice of God. And then once we knew what the voice of God was, we realized that God had been talking to us for a while. We just didn't understand it was the voice of God. But now that you know what the voice of God is, I pray that you can feel that spirit within you today when the voice speaks and something warms within your belly and you go, oh, that's not a human voice. And that's not the voice of the devil because it's not speaking negativity. It's not speaking doom and gloom and destruction and failure, but it's speaking hope and faith and life. It's telling me to move forward. I'm so grateful for the purpose of God in my life. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. There will always be a water test. There was a water test in the Red Sea just three days before. Then there's the water test at Marab or Meribah. And then years later, there's the water test to see if they'll cross Jordan River. There was a water test for Gideon and the men of Israel before they went out to defeat the enemy. There was a water test for God uh, by Elijah on Mount Carmel when he saturated the sacrifice with 60 gallons of water. There was a water test for Jesus with John the baptizer. And there was a water test for the early New Testament believers. It's called baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. But if we'll pass the water test, he'll turn the bitter into sweet. That water in Jesus' name will turn the bitter into sweet. We rise up a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. The body of sin is destroyed. The evidence that testifies against us in heaven heaven is obliterated and we rise a brand new creature. Yeah, I remember one guy I baptized, bumped his head against the end of the baptismal. 
when he came out, he laughed at me, but he worshiped God. And he told me every time I saw him almost, most is pastor. That's what changed my life. It was baptism. It was baptism. Thank God for baptism in Jesus name. But listen to the value that God placed on the nation of Israel. He said, but now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. We belong to God. When we're born again of the water and spirit, we belong to him. So he says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for your place, since you were precious in my sight. You have been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. But Jesus gave his life for you and me. The church is the most valuable entity that exists in this world. The voice they had not known was suddenly becoming known. After rehearsing to the Israel, the sword, uh, Israel, the test of the bitter waters of Meribah, the source of the deliverance is revealed. Verse 7, David says, You called in trouble and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Think about it. They heard it, but did not know what it was. God answered in the storm. He showed up in the show of force and he spoke with a voice from the secret place of thunder. The words were not clear to the carnal man. The noise was not even words to their ears. But that is all right. The spirit that spoke everything into existence was now holding them in check. Nature would understand his command. This is not a battle against the physical forces. This is a battle of the spirit. Remember the secret place of thunder? The heading at the beginning of this chapter reads, An appeal for Israel's repentance to the chief musician on an instrument of gaff, a psalm of Asaph. So here we are. David now has an instrument of gaff. Now, I'm going to say something and don't be offended about it. I'm old now, okay? In the middle of the night, they changed my identity. And now I'm old. And I remember the day when we went to church and there were no drums in churches. Oh, no, don't play the drums in the churches. Now, that sounds a little crazy, doesn't it? Because sometimes we're a little loud. But I remember when finally we got drums in the church. And it was like, drums in the church? Can we have drums in the church and worship God? Can we beat that drum? And it, This is what had happened. I don't know what instrument it was. But David got an instrument of gaff. And decided to play a song to God on an instrument of gaff. Now who, who was from gaff? Goliath. Goliath. David and Goliath? 
The giant that he killed had lived there. Now, when David is being pushed into the wilderness by Saul, he's running from Saul, and he ends up in Gath. And, and the four brothers of Gath each had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each feet, foot. That's why they couldn't wear nice shoes, and they were fighters. But guess what? David's men killed all of them. Everyone. So all the giants of Gath were killed. All of Goliath's family were killed. And now David has one of their instruments that they're used to hearing played when they go out to war. They're used to hearing played when they worship or when they celebrate. And now they hear that instrument. It must have been something different than what the Jews had. And he says, oh, I'm going to show those guys. I'm going to get them. I'm going to use the instrument I used to use uh, that they used to use against us, uh, against them. And we're going to celebrate what God has done. God can turn your mourning into dancing. He can turn your sorrow into joy. He can take that instrument from the world and use it for his glory and his honor and praise in the house of God. He can take that voice that used to speak cursings and slander and you can speak blessings and life. He can take that body that you used to use for violence and it can become an instrument of love because he changes everything and he writes about the secret place of thunder he writes about a place where God can be found and heard <coughs> some in Israel have lost their way and wandered from the precepts of God's laws and many in the nation of Israel seem to have forgotten David wrote a song and he turned it around he stole the enemy's tune. He used the enemy's musical instrument. And David wrote a song about the true God. He sang it out loud. And David said, now you sing it. You shout for joy. You raise the song. And you sing it at all the feasts. Yep. He said, this is a statute or a regular happening. So we come into the house of God and we sing, you are God alone. And we sing, you're Yahweh. And we sing about him being deliverer. We sing about him being ever present. You see, David said it. This is why we shout, God's removed the burden. He's called you out of distress. He's freed your hands. He's tested you. And he brought you through the testing. Israel, God answered you in the secret place of thunder. This incident described by King David was not the only time that God spoke to them from the secret place of thunder. The Hebrews were now in the wilderness, and Brother Anthony mentioned this uh, a few weeks ago. They'd heard and recognized the voice of Moses, and they had asked to hear the voice of God themselves, and God had wanted to speak to Israel. And so Moses told the congregation to purify themselves for a period of three days, and they gathered together at the base of Mount Sinai. And if you missed Tuesday night, you need to listen to it on the podcast, and you need to be here too. This Tuesday night, we're talking about consecration and sanctification or making ourselves ready for God to move in our life and speak in our life. And that's what the children of Israel did. And in verse 16 of chapter 19 of Exodus, it says, Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. 
And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. And now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended in a fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain greatly quaked greatly. And God answered in the secret place of thunder. The Bible says they heard thunder and they saw lightning and some understood what it was saying and some couldn't quite understand it. They were hearing a voice that they weren't used to. It was what the the prophet wrote, David wrote, he's saying, and I heard a voice that I didn't understand. I heard a voice with a different tongue. Oh, I'm so glad that I've heard a voice with a different sound. It's not the voice of discouragement. It's not the voice of sin. It's not the voice of losing. It's not the voice of death. It's not the voice of certain damnation, but it's the voice of love and forgiveness and hope and life and freedom. I've heard the voice from the secret place of thunder. And he said, hey, I love you and I will forgive you. And I have brought you out of sin into light. I brought you out of darkness into hope. And this is the way David put it in verse 7 of 2 Samuel 22. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. I cried to my God and he did hear my voice out of his temple. And my cry did enter into his ears. Then the earth shook and the trembled and the foundations of heaven moved and shook because he was wroth. There went up smoke out of his nostrils and fire out of his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled in it. He bowed the heavens all so and came down and darkness was upon his under his feet he rode on the cherub and did fly and was seen on the wings of the wind do you know when this was it was when he was in trouble and he cried to the lord and that's the that's the phenomenon he saw it was like superheroes like mega marble here we are god answered from the secret place of thunder. And that voice was becoming known to God. If there's struggle, if there's pressure, if there is trial in your life, listen for the thunder. Listen for the secret place of thunder. Listen to the voice of the Lord. The greatest battle of the ages was in full swing. Christ was in the crucible of suffering. Christ was willingly hanging on the cross and refusing to call the angels to rescue him. Christ is giving the final answer to sin, the sin issue. The sun had been eclipsed for nearly six hours and the battle of the ages was raging and this time the thunder would be clear and so when Jesus had received the sour wine he said it is finished and bowing his head he gave up his spirit and Matthew's writing records this in chapter 27 and 50 and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit and behold the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks split and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves after his resurrection they went into the holiest city and appeared to many and so when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened they feared greatly saying truly this was the son of God 
He was silent when they accused him. He was silent when they spit upon him in mock. He was silent when they said, come down from the cross. He was silent when they said, hey, if you cannot deliver yourself, you can't deliver us. But when he gave up the voice, that voice from the secret place of thunder came. And it gave deliverance to you and I. Why was the veil rent in the holy temple? Because there was an ark of the covenant that represented the presence of God. And that meant that there was a way into the presence of God. But more than that, that meant that the presence, the spirit of God flooded into all the earth. And it became available for you and you and you and you and me. And as we stand, I want to read the verses that Nahum wrote in chapter number one. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and the storm and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry and dries up all the rivers, Bashan and Carmel, wither and the flower of Lebanon wilts. The mountains quake before him, the hills melt and the earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwells in it. So the next time you see lightning and you hear thunder and if you feel that windows rattle and the earth shake, maybe it's just God showing up to answer somebody's prayer. Maybe it's to answer your prayer. There's violence at the new birth of a child of God because the enemy says, I have you. And the Lord of glory says, I want you. The enemy says, you're bound, you're bound to repeat everything that you did, only it's going to get worse. But the Bible says he's a liar. And the father thereof. And he was a murderer from the beginning. He hates you. But they're one that loves you more than any other loves you. First John 3 and 2 says, Beloved, now we are the children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed that we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. If God would answer the nation of Hebrews with the voice of thunder, how much more likely is he to answer you and I as the sons and daughters of God? The words that you've heard in the past may not be clear, but you feel his spirit. And it may not be something audible that says, this is what I want you to do, but it may be something just drawing at your heart saying, come. Maybe, maybe it's a feeling and you're just writing it off and saying, well, I'm just so emotional because everybody was dancing and shouting and the preacher's hollering. And his voice is going up and down and he's trying to take me on a journey. No, that spirit of God just propels you or compels you. Either you feel moved and pushed by it or drawn by it. And you say, oh God, I've just got to act. Jesus is here to answer you. The words you hear may not be clear to the carnal man and they may not even be words in your ears. They may be a rumbling in your chest. It may be a, a sound in your spirit, but that's all right. That spirit that spoke everything into existence now speaks for you. 
Nature will understand his command. The angelic hosts will understand his command. Satan will understand his command. This is not a battle against physical forces, but it's a battle of the spirit. What brings you unrest today? If it's family struggle, I think I hear thunder. Relationship issues, there's some more thunder. Employment needs, fear of tomorrow. I think I hear the thunder. An attack of an infirmity or a sickness struggles in your thought life. There's thunder. God is speaking peril in your workplace. Spiritual foes in your daily living. I think I hear the voice of thunder. Do you feel something? Do you hear something? This altar is open to respond to the Spirit of God. You're not just responding to my words. We're not just responding to the voice of a man. But let us hear the voice of God. And the voice saying, this is the way walk therein. The voice saying, hey, I have a plan and a design for you. The voice saying, this is the right decision. This is the right path. Let God speak to your spirit today.